Welcome to the Dopa Podcast. Fueling conversations around creative wellness and turning negative barriers into positive tools for mental success. Brought to you by the Department of Proactiveness and your host, Alex Normanton. Joining me today is Graham Sturt, Creative Director and Partner of D8 Amsterdam. We discuss how to turn self-doubt into self-belief and practical tools on how to shift negative thought patterns into a more positive mindset. Well, good morning, Graham. Thank you for allowing us into your home. Much appreciated. Looking forward to chatting to you this morning. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, it's the first time my home's ever been turned into a recording studio. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the kit's growing and growing, but um, it, it does the job. So, Well, it looks, it looks the part yeah. and um, looking forward to answering your questions. How people can navigate from this idea of from self-doubt to self-belief and really unpacking why, why self-doubt often is so common within the creative industry. So I really want to unpack this subject a little bit further, but really to give people positive tools for mental creative success. So yeah, be good to hear your thoughts. Why why do you think self-doubt is so prevalent within the creative industry? I think it's for a number of reasons. And um, I think primarily uh, it's down to the fact that we creative people operating in a commercial environment. So Ultimately, that means that we, we need to always deliver, whether that's on, on kind of budget, on time, to expectation, uh, creative standard or level of quality. It can be many things. And I think we've all been there. If you've been around the block enough times, I've been working 25 plus years now. We all go through periods of self-doubt and uh, lacking in self-confidence. I think it's finding tools and, and ways to pick yourself up out of those moments that kind of help you to continue and, um, and, and keep going really, because it, it can be relentless in this industry. You know, sometimes it feels like you can't get off the merry-go-round. So I think this platform's fantastic from that aspect to actually help creatives to understand some of these pitfalls or, or, or kind of low moments in our careers and uh, help us to collectively talk about this topic. So thanks very much for inviting me this morning. Ah, pleasure, a pleasure. I think it's interesting what you're saying there about, um, you know, people working relentlessly against intense time pressures, budgets. The world is sped up so quickly. Everything is super, super urgent often. And I guess those combination of those certain things can start to impact people's minds. What do you think else contributes to that sort of negativity around those feelings of feeling I'm not quite good enough? Yeah, that's a good one. I think, um, again, a number of things. It can be peer pressure. If you don't have a supportive team or or leader around you, that can impact on you. Um, Competition is is a big one. If you spend too much time looking out the window at uh, what other people are doing, it can kind of affect your own feelings about your own work. Maybe something like awards. If you're not winning awards and your company has a priority that you need to be award winning, that can also maybe knock your confidence. Uh, so it, I think it's a vast number of things. I think one of the most important things is probably around the people around you. 
inside your agency or company. Um, you need to build a really supportive kind of feeling amongst you because we all suffer from moments of uh, uh, lacks of self-confidence or self-doubt and we should all support each other in that. Yeah, I think one thing you said there was just that self-consciousness around what other agencies are doing. Everything's always on. There's notifications coming up. I mean, we follow each other on Instagram. The, just that constant interruption of creative things, studios you follow, individuals you think are amazing. That, and it's going in our mind all the time. That, that's lovely. Oh, that's super smart. I wish I'd done that. That's beautifully crafted. And if you're not careful, it can kind of swing you into the space of, um, I'm never going to hit that level. Um, why can't I do that kind of work um, when you're working on something you're not loving, for example? And that sort of appetite and um, pursuit of creative awards, but also creative stardom, I guess, it can impact your mindset for sure. Why do people concentrate on those sorts of things rather than concentrating on let's make this great? Well, I, I guess uh, importantly, you, sh you should focus on what's great in your own work, but it's obviously uh, a daily distraction that we're fed images of, uh, of amazing work. You know, like you mentioned Instagram, for instance, you know, you start following some great agencies and they do generally a really good job of PRing themselves in terms of the great projects that they do. You always see the end products, don't you? You see the slick, polished visuals. You're not usually seeing the build-up and some of the lows which they probably went through as well in achieving that work. So we've all uh, had enough uh, experience in the industry to understand that like you said before, you start any project usually with blank canvas and anything is possible. And that's usually if you uh, have any ambition, you want to kind of push things as far as possible. Invariably, again, that thing about commercial aspect of uh, creativity, there may be compromises along the way, which mean you probably or possibly don't reach exactly where you wanted to be with the project. But it might go somewhere completely different and unexpected, which could even be better, for instance. So there's various things that affect the process. And um, if you look too much at some of these superstar agencies, then you're going to just focus too much on end product and not necessarily understand the pitfalls and lows that they had. Yeah, there is that veneer of, uh, as you say, what's perceived as the world of this is the end product, but not knowing the backstory and the months of, I don't know, legalities, challenging client, various things that, that have gone wrong, but you don't see that backstory. You, you see these beautifully polished visuals that just look incredible. I guess without knowing that deeper story where we're all victim of um, an, Insta an Instagram generation in a way where everything looks super polished, we're spending a lot more time on screens being bombarded by notifications every day, you know, RSS feeds kicking into gear, You've seen this latest this work, newsletters come in from email, someone's been tagged, someone's not posted for a while. All these bombardment of creative stimulus that actually I've found mentally takes us down this sort of pathway and further away from the thing we're actually concentrating on doing. 
that we just got into a sweet spot and thought, oh, this could be interesting. Let's explore this. Let's explore that. But your mind quickly flips to, oh, I wish I'd done that. That's a beautiful piece of work. Ah, oh, they've nailed that. Um, and, and that backstory, you don't really understand. But actually, I'm seeing a little bit of a trend of work being more nostalgic now, actually. So that less crafted, polished look versus a little bit more open and naturalistic. And there's an art to crafting even simple nostalgic work as well. Thinking about this subject of self-doubt, I've experienced a few people in the past literally hiding things on, on layers or off the artboard or not printed out for a, a traditional get-in-the-room review. What do you think contributes to people feeling like, I don't want to share this, I'm, I'm self-curating my work? Why, why do you think that is? Uh, again, a number of reasons. It could be internal competition, it's uh, you don't want to be seen to be the one who's uh, delivering the least popular work. Could be, yeah, popularity is a good one, isn't it, as well? You always want to people please a little bit when you're amongst your peers. We're all victim of it. And um, it could also be fear. So fear of uh, being kind of singled out. Um, you, you don't want to be the person in the review whose work is singled out for the heavy criticism. So... Uh, you know, maybe you just kind of think, well, you or you pre-think or overthink it. What does my creative director want from me out of this project? Which I guess if you start thinking along that people-pleasing way, usually means you deliver something formulaic, possibly, or a director answer to the brief and not necessarily thinking off the page or slightly left field or unexpectedly. Um, usually the best ideas are off the page, aren't they? And I think that's why I'm not necessarily a big fan of formal reviews. I prefer to be where it's possible. It's not possible right now, but um, to be in the studio, passing by and sitting with creatives to talk directly about the work one-to-one. -one. Yeah. And then if you build confidence in your team in that way, they open up to you. And then they do let you see what's off the artboard hidden in the top left-hand corner or under a layer. Uh, it's, it's about building confidence, uh, instilling that in your team and being very careful about how you deliver feedback. So true and so good. Um, yeah, I know, I know various people who hate going to formal reviews or even the idea of pinning something up where other people love that. Um, and similarly, it sounds like we work in a, a similar way, just sitting down alongside someone and saying, well, have you tried this, tried that? Oh, what, what's that up there? Um, it's kind of the same conversation that I used to have with people who come in with their traditional portfolio printed book. And um, it all looked beautiful and polished. But um, I'd, I'd always ask, hey, have you, have you brought a sketchbook at all? Nine times out of 10, they'd have it tucked away in the backpack, uh, hiding this sort of lovely stuff away. And then they'd bring it out and then this person totally comes alive because they're presenting things or talking about things that someone showed an interest in they didn't think actually was interesting. Actually, sometimes in those moments of sharing things that's tucked off in the distant land in layer 88 or out of the artboard or tucked away in the back of a sketchbook, you, you can get some really unexpected ideas. Yeah, I'm just, uh, well, whilst you were talking there, I was thinking, um, Thinking back to a talk I was in 
with Michael Johnson at DNAD uh, about a year ago. I think he was launching his book, uh, Now Try Something Weirder. And he was talking about his early career where a creative director would be reviewing his work. And again, yeah, this, this is good. Yeah, definitely hits the brief. Um, yeah, I'll see the potential in that. Now try something weirder. Like, go go the other way. So, yeah, I guess what we're saying is share everything. Don't audit your work because you think it might not be appreciated by someone or it's not quite on point because actually it could spark a different direction based on something that someone thought was slightly off. Yeah, it's a good, it's also a fine line though, isn't it? So um, you say share everything. For me, sign of a good designer is that they are good at editing. So um, they understand the question that they've been asked and they design accordingly, if you like, but include the possibility to push things further. So it's not that uh, necessarily you want to share absolutely everything because that can be labor intensive and time consuming. I, I have a, an intuition, which is always a great thing to have as a creative, that we can push this further and we could do this and be excited about it. Um, that's always appreciated, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a fine balance between self-auditing and oversharing. Because um, what you don't necessarily want, even in those candid moments or formal review moments, is, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this. It's like, whoa, um, you've, you feel like you've not quite grasped it. Maybe a better way of talking about it would be, so I've, I've taken the brief, I've seen the challenge, I've come up with this response. Um, I have three routes. There's this, there's this, there's this. And then there's just this mad idea I had at uh, 1.30 this morning. I woke up, I sketched it down. It might be completely wrong, but here it is. And hopefully that is the one. But then uh, the important thing here, based on your topic, is that um, your team have the confidence to be able to do this. Yeah, which comes back to what you're talking about in terms of environment, creating a shared ethos, um, a shared belief, a culture of openness, not being scared um, to, to share, and, and also not being scared of what people might think. And I think that type of creative culture is really important for targeting those feelings of self-doubt. Because if that's built, and if you're working in isolation, like now, then you know that you could call that person and go, look, I'm kind of feeling a bit like this on this route. Can I just ask you your advice? And you know you get totally honest feedback. But I think if that's in place, then that's also a practical tool for aiding people's development and saying, no, I don't feel like that at all, actually. I think, I think there's something in there. I think you've been in your own headspace for too long. Get out of it. Try something weirder. Try something different go have a coffee, go for a walk, come back at it. And I think you'll have fresh perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Stepping into uh, a team, a new team or uh, a new agency or your first agency, if you're just starting out, can be pretty intimidating. 
one, you're the outsider in a way, you have to prove yourself. Two, maybe you don't have the experience that the others around you have. But I think ultimately, like you said, with the creative environment, if the openness is there and uh, the encouragement is there also for people to get involved and, and, and say something rather than blocking people, then I think it, 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 you know, it, it's really helpful. Anyone can have a point of view on the work and it's okay from my perspective. Um, I think the more the merrier sometimes. But I have been in environments before, certainly in my earlier career, where I felt I couldn't speak up because I wasn't qualified. I didn't have the years under my belt or even I was blocked by people whose ego didn't allow it. Um, so I think uh, we should encourage a more open discussion amongst all levels in the creative team and it can really help the creative process. Yeah, totally. I think conversation is super important, that openness as well, mutual respect. Sometimes I've, I've experienced being in you know, high-pressured situations, way too many people involved and lack of time. So a massive review on, I don't know, an identity project, four designers in the room, a couple of strategists, account management, and unfortunately, four of those people, they only have 15 minutes. And you're kind of in these pressure point moments where it's kind of shotgun approach of reviewing, critiquing work, which sometimes doesn't necessarily facilitate the best conversation. And I know for certain people within those conversations, they'll maybe sit back because they'll let the alpha males, uh, quote unquote, take the stage. But actually, they had something to say um, that would have been super relevant, and they'll they'll say outside of that meeting. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is to build proper time into reviewing creative work, giving people the space and time to talk through their work, so they actually feel more more, if not equally, as important as the people who are the most vocal, which I think helps promote that self-belief in, yeah, I have, I have something to bring here rather than, hey, we have 15 minutes, obviously that person, that person, that person spoke. Uh, it's always me that's left at the back. But it is up to that individual to kind of, hey, before we break, could I actually present the work that we haven't got time to do maybe this afternoon or at a different moment? Because I think that that self-belief in your work is is good to have, but also just the self-belief in yourself to be able to share. But surely it should be the uh, one of those larger voices in the room's kind of uh, job to give the platform to people who would naturally sit back. People who don't shout the loudest, they can have something important to say, but maybe it's not in their nature to actually step up and do it. It's not their natural way of doing things. So um, I think it's all about reading the room, isn't it? You know, and understanding whoever is in the, in the shadow, haven't heard from them yet. How do I find a constructive way to get them to contribute without making them feel awkward or ashamed of not contributing? You know, that's the important thing, isn't it? You know, you want everybody collectively, if you're in the room, you need to contribute. That's why you're there. How do you do it? in a constructive way. I mean, the reality right now is, of course, that um, 
we're all short on time. And those meetings with 15 minutes to review things with 10 people are an everyday occurrence. So we can't, can't swerve that. That's the reality. Just need to find constructive ways to get people to contribute without them feeling like they don't have something to say or making them feel ashamed for not contributing. Yeah, effectively, they need someone in their corner fighting for them. You need kind of a moderator in a way. Yeah, well, I was going to say moderator slash referee sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it, yeah, it is a kind of like a wrestling match <laughs> sometimes, isn't it, in a, in a big review? Um, yeah. You know, it can get brutal. It can get kind of uh, hard and fast, and sometimes people forget their manners. So, yeah, if you had the referee there, I think that would be quite helpful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I also just see the value in a senior person well, a senior person even even through to a teammate saying, hey, we've not heard from this guy or this girl in terms of their work. Do you mind if we actually expand the meeting for another five, 10 minutes? It'd be really good to hear because I actually walked past their desk the other day. They had some really interesting stuff just off the side of their screen. I think it'd be really worthwhile taking the time. That's a really good point. And I think if you get to know your team on a one-to-one basis, you do understand that they do have something to say. It's just kind of getting it out there and finding the best way to do that. So we've talked about culture a little bit in terms of creative culture, empowering people, speaking up for each other, uh, giving space and time to present work, reviewing work off the artboard, stuff that's in the bottom drawer, quite a lot of things there. Is there anything else that comes to mind in terms of more practical tools outside of what we've spoken about to really help shift that perception from doubting yourself to believing in yourself? There's one point which comes back to me a lot because uh, I suffer from it occasionally as well, which is kind of creative block. So again, coming back to the start of this conversation, we're in a commercial setting where we need to deliver. We need to deliver on time, according to budget and uh, according to quality as well. So there's a lot of pressure often to uh, kind of uh, come up with the goods. And creativity isn't like a, a tap, I find anyway. Sometimes it can be like a tap. It can flow really freely and you can have a really good kind of run of, uh, of work. And that's for a number of reasons, which maybe we can come back to later. But sometimes you can hit a wall, you know, you can have a, the best briefing in the world, but it's not flowing and uh, that can really set you spinning. And um, I think maybe it would be good to touch on that subject a little bit about uh, how you can unblock yourself. What kind of tools do people use to, to do that? Because I'm sure everybody's different and everybody has a different solution. The good news is like clouds in the sky it's kind of usually temporary isn't it it's um, something that usually passes or at least i found in my own experience and some of it again is to do with self-confidence so uh, you can seemingly from the outside be the most confident person in the world and have a great track record but you can also be internally lacking in confidence and full of self-doubt which is again the topic we're talking about as the overarching theme today. So I, I guess it would be great to uh, to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think there's definitely a link between, as you say, the self-doubt and 
the block that comes. Those two things feel like they're linked. Uh, how do you really break through that wall? Well, metaphorically from self-doubt to self-belief, but also those things within the creative process that help endorse those negative feelings are, are often there for sure. Yeah, I was thinking back actually to an experience I had at Saatchi Design in Sydney, working with Julian Melhirsch and Kevin Finn. And they were talking about different ways of working that they find really helpful. So for certain people, they're really good at sitting down at their desk or in a boardroom or at the dining table to really unpack the brief, the strategy, research the brands and write lots of things down within that structured space. For other people, that's the worst thing they could do. And um, I remember Julian actually saying to me one time, I, I can't work like that. If I'm struggling to break through that brick wall, I'm going to take a bus ride. And that's where I'll get through that pain barrier. Um, that for me works really well. I'll take a sketchbook, I'll take a camera and a pen, and I'll just take a random bus route and go. Now, you could adapt that to lots of different scenarios. But, you know, coming back to you talking about this brick wall that you face sometimes in that process, what do you like to do to break through that wall? Yeah, so the, the, the bus ride is a good one, actually. I, I don't go on a bus, but uh, what I do like to do is to just kind of put down the project and... Uh, and just do something completely different. And it's something you hear time and time again. I'm sure it's not rocket science. But um, if you are stuck, just going and, and taking a long walk. I mean, there's some beautiful places to walk in Amsterdam, of course. Just experience something different. Um, I think walking is a good one, actually. I've, I've found that I've had some really good ideas walking and running as well, actually. The running for me, thinking about... Um, Different things usually helps to take away the pain, which is uh, which is a good kind of uh, thing. And quite often, my kind of mind, by doing something else physically, will start to kind of uh, form ideas and solutions. So I think not sitting behind the computer panicking, certainly don't do that. Um, maybe just kind of switch computer off. Go and do something completely different. And if you have the luxury of time, maybe take a day or two to come back to it because you'll find that the, the connections will be made in that time because probably in the background of your, of your brain somewhere, you'll be thinking about it and it'll have the time to kind of cook up something. But yes, uh, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? This uh, creative block. And I think it's also a self-fulfilling pro prophecy in a way. Uh, if you're ambitious in your work, you don't want to kind of do something formulaic. And you touched on the bit about the process can help you. So if you have a process, various steps along the way to help you with your creative work, so starting with strategy, etc., that can help with continuity and help with this conveyor belt that we, we, we sort of live on, which is uh, the creative commercial business. Um, so that's the structure. But it doesn't come up with a brilliant idea, does it? It just allows you to kind of have a framework. And I guess if you, like I said, if you're ambitious in your work, you want to kind of almost do something better than last time. And it's balancing that personal ambition and vision for something with that commerciality, which is always a challenge. And I've talked to various people who fall either on one side or the other or bang in the middle on that. 
But I think every creative person at the heart wants to do a better job than what they did last time. Absolutely. And to really challenge themselves on, okay, I know that we can get to that level, but what about if we go, you know, two steps up in the words of Spinal Tap? Let's and go I, to 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I think to do it in a commercial setting is also very interesting. So, of course, you have a client, you know, who ultimately will be, be kind of funding you in this project. So, um, you know, there's the fine line between what's acceptable for them in terms of their budget and what you can achieve creatively. And also many other factors, of course, with um, involved in and in play here. But yeah, it's great to kind of, it's the best feeling in the world when you really do feel like you pushed something creatively and, you know, you achieved it within a commercial setting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's that feeling of, um, well, it comes back to self-belief, doesn't it? That you've conquered the wall, you broke through the wall, you've broken through those feelings of doubting yourself and you've moved into this space of, wow, this could be incredible again. And uh, I do think there's a direct correlation between that creative process in terms of your mind and the things that come up against you in your own mind as well as in the project. Um, and we talked about this in, in our pilot, but, you know, you start with that brief and going, this could be incredible. The next stage is, ah, this is really bad. Next stage is, it's getting better. Next stage, this is the worst thing ever in the world. Next stage, ah, but I've seen a, it's this kind of embryonic circle. Um, but you know from experience that it's always going to land well at some point. And it starts you to then start believing in yourself again. So I think I think it's interesting those those kind of juxtapositions between process and mental thought patterns. Another thought that popped into my mind actually about self belief is um, we're both creative directors, so we're both working with groups of people. It's not a singular kind of uh, exercise. The work that we do. So um, you know, having self belief and also um, making people around you have that self-belief is another hurdle, isn't it? You know, it's one thing to kind of convince yourself that what you're doing is great, but convincing others around you who are in your direct team or, or clients or your agency owners, you know, that those are extra kind of uh, considerations and, and sometimes quite difficult to, to manage as well personally. So uh, you can always have maybe the, the best idea in the world, according to you. But if it doesn't land, then you can also start doubting yourself. And why why don't they see this? Why don't they see this as the best thing ever, the, the best possible answer to the, the creative brief, the best solution for the client? Why don't they see it? Am I am I missing something? Am I am I no good? Have I have I slipped? Am I going rusty? All these kind of self doubt questions that can pop up in your head. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Fortunately, I don't think we. It's not a question that arises too often, but it does arise, and it's how you deal with it, I guess, that how allows you to move on. Yeah, yeah, I think also. I mean, it's quite quite a theme that's come up a few times just in this conversation is it's it's about communication and talking to people either your family your close friends or people that you um, actually creatively respect um, professionally maybe they're kind of an unofficial mentor in a way hey could I just run something by you 
uh, have you come up against this in your career? How, how can I navigate through this? I've got X, Y, and Z going on. Uh, am, am I right to think this? Is this is this right to believe in? Um, or actually, am I? I'm I'm kind of too far down the the rabbit hole. Um, I guess the the navigation of nav- navigating between self belief and even back to self doubts. There has to be certain tools in in place to do that. I guess there has to be a strong rationale behind decisions as well that you can believe in something because you have the reasons behind something. So I think I think that's really helpful. Let's move on briefly and uh, try and wrap up. But I mean, I guess the ultimate self-belief is what's next for you, which is super exciting. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for what you're going to do with uh, your new agency, D8, establishing itself in Amsterdam. And I guess you've had a successful career. You're still having a successful career. But I guess linked to that is this self-belief in, you know what, I can do, I can do this. And that that's really it's really respectful to see, um, and I'm really excited about you starting this next chapter. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about D8? Yeah, uh, and it actually taps into you know it's, it's it's on topic as well in a way. So after 13 years with VBAT, uh, 13 great years of um, doing some amazing work, working with fantastic people and being part of the Soup Union Network. Um, I started to kind of get itchy feet, I think, about a year or so ago and started to think, wow, I've been here 13 years. That was unexpected. Is this me? Is this going to be the rest of my career? And I thought to myself, well, no, there are other things I want to do. Um, I could stay here. It's, it's, it's been good. And uh, it can still be good in the future. But I think I had this inner feeling that I needed a new challenge and I needed to be a bit more kind of self-directing in a way. So uh, I left the agency in November and I took some time out to actually think about what it was that I wanted to do. And the idea came to me that I really would like to set up something new. And I'd been in contact with Adrian Carroll, who's one of the founders of uh, D8. Funnily enough, through Instagram, we'd followed each other for a couple of years and I respected their work a lot. And um, I had a Zoom call with him a few months ago where we just discussed our work, our ambitions, and not necessarily talking about doing anything together, but I was very interested to hear how he set up because I knew there were two founders at D8 and they started 20 years ago. So it was more kind of um, fact-finding. In that conversation, Adrian explained that he had a great business partner who's called James. And that triggered something in me because it really made me realize that if I ever wanted to do something myself, I also needed someone more business-focused beside me because you can't wear all the hats and it makes sense. Um, from a practical perspective, and also someone to share the ambition with you as well and someone to work beside you and make sure you kind of keep in a certain direction and and all those all those things. Anyway, uh, cut a long story short, we found a kind of common theme there, which was D8 wanted to grow. They have work in the States, in Asia, but no foothold in Europe. 
Um, so we started to discuss the idea of um, how would it be if we were to actually set something up in Amsterdam? And naturally, it's fallen together really well. I think we're very like-minded. And I, and I think, honestly, there's a need for something new in the market. There are some great agencies here, of course, um, but I think D8 can offer slight, something slightly different. And um, so we've decided to explore it further, and we've gone into partnership. And uh, I'm skilling up in all sorts of areas I never thought I would. Uh, learning about setting up businesses and uh, but I it feels kind of comfortable because I have the backing of uh, these two two super uh, uh, experienced people behind me and uh, but we're all excited to get this started and up and running and it's early days it's our first week but the signs are good initially and the enthusiasm is certainly there so I, I guess watch this space um and, and let's see how we do. But um, it's certainly helping me to um, uh, achieve that, that challenge that I was uh, craving. Yeah, I, I'm very grateful to, uh, to D8 for kind of uh, coming into business with me to, to achieve this. No, that's super exciting. And uh, I think you're right in terms of it's, it's time for a sort of different offering here within Amsterdam. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. But also I think... You know, without showcasing your age, you're hitting a big birthday and um, oh, to God. start something new as well. You know, that does take that self-belief. Like, do you know what? A few people could say, what are you doing? Like, you should be maybe starting to wind down or do something else or start to plan retirement and all that stuff. Whereas actually, because you love what you do, I know that you have an incredible passion for what you do actually you're fueling that the other way and this ultimate self-belief in yourself to start something new because you get an itchy feet because you need that and you, and you crave that and you want that i think is super inspiring and yeah i wish you all the success in that i'd be excited to see what comes next in terms of your work here oh well, thank um, you and the agency thank you and um yeah, I guess people have been really kind about this venture. Uh, I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, it only kind of went live. So it's, it's very fresh. Uh, and I'm terrible at keeping secrets. I think I managed to keep this this really well <laughs> as a secret. And nobody knew about it apart from one or two people in my very kind of inner circle. And um, it is very exciting. And, and I guess uh, I could have sat back and I could have just continued because I was in a great situation working with a great agency but I've always wanted to kind of challenge myself push myself further and that's still alive in me so uh the the kind of the, the craving to kind of look around a little bit and think well can I become better can I build something can I learn new skills you know that's that's still alive in me and uh, yes I will be 50 uh in a week from now but I don't think that it doesn't really mean anything. I don't feel that that's uh, anything to kind of think that I should slow down. In fact, it makes me feel like I want to speed up in, if anything. I was with that ex-chairman, Eugene Bay, yesterday for a coffee, actually. And he's, I think he's very close to 70 now. But I've never met anyone with so much energy and so much inspiration. And, and we were talking about initiatives which he has planned uh, I hope I can be that energetic and uh, that inspiring in 20 years' time. Yeah. Hey, I just want to thank you for your time. 
this morning. It's super interesting to to hear you talk uh, and see. Yeah, the light is very much still on in the Sturt household and in your minds. And I think I think to sum up, I think everyone struggles with self doubt, whether you're starting out or whether you're super far down the line in terms of agency experience and your career. But I think we have to fuel those doubts with positivity and and to start recognizing that there are patterns that go on in our minds. How do we use these tools to start believing in ourselves, being kind to ourselves, and just have this appetite of, I can do this and nothing is impossible. Thank you very much. An important point to end with. So uh, hopefully this helps. Um, important thing to know is no matter what level you're at, you're not alone. We all have these feelings. So um, yeah, it's great to talk about it. And thank you very much for the platform to be able to share something which may be of value to people. Hey, Graham, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you, Alex. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by the Department of Proactiveness and was recorded in accordance with the social distancing rules. If you're a brand interested in sponsoring future episodes of DOPA or you simply just want to get in touch, please email info at thedopa.com. <laughs>